of Alp Britain to Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this Monday edition of the podcast is our full-time employee, Dave Cameron. We take advantage of the new, more frequent format of the podcast to look at some breaking news, including most notably a, a trade that has sent Melky Cabrera from the Kansas City Royals to the San Francisco Giants in exchange for Jonathan Sanchez and a minor leaguer. Cameron and I also discussed the rumors came out of New York this weekend regarding the likelihood of David Wright being traded, and also the rumors uh, concerning Michael Kadire and the likelihood with which he might end up signing for the Philadelphia Phillies for 2012 and perhaps beyond. A brief programming note, just minutes before recording this edition of the podcast, I purchased a brand new microphone via the internet. It should be here in a couple days. It's a professional sort of microphone, which will allow the listening audience to more fully enjoy the range of my vocal instrument. Just think of it as Christmas in November. Uh, with that stated, though, let's move on to my conversation with Dave Cameron. Carson. Dave Cameron. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, deep in thought on the uh, awesomeness of Melky Cabrera and Jonathan Sanchez. Yeah, so this is Fangraphs Audio, I should mention, and you are Dave Cameron, our full-time employee. Dave, you you appear to be one of the few people on the entire internet who feels as though this might be a good trade for the Giants. Uh, actually, Buster only agreed with me, and this might be the only time in the history of the world that Buster only and I have agreed on something. <laughs> uh, at least uh, baseball really related matters. So, to, just to lay out the facts, and this is, uh, we're recording this at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, so this trade was finalized or sort of announced not very long ago. Trade sends Melky Cabrera to the uh, San Francisco Giants, and then uh, Jonathan Sanchez and Ryan Verdugo, or Vertigo? Sure, either one of those is fine with me. Yeah, right, uh, back to the Royals. And it certainly helps the Royals out, I mean, regardless of what you think of their starting pitching, it probably helps out their starting pitching. Or I should say, regardless of what you think of Jonathan Sanchez, probably helps their starting pitching. So what's your so so is this more of a case of you're valuing Melky Cabrera differently than people, or you're valuing Jonathan Sanchez differently? I think a little bit of both. Uh, so I think to, to me it seems like the public opinion is that Jonathan Sanchez is a talented young left-hander who gets a lot of strikeouts and has some potential, and Melky Cabrera is a terrible player who fluked his way into a pretty good 2011. I think if you Actually, look at history. Melky Cabrera is a pretty useful fourth outfielder who had a really good year last year based mostly on a spike in his batting average and balls in play that probably isn't sustainable going forward. But given that he's 26 or 27, uh, and that he's been a pretty decent player, at least as a role player in previous seasons, there's no reason to think that Cabrera can't be a league average, uh, you know, nifty outfield piece for the Giants for the next year or so at a pretty low cost. And I think Sanchez, honestly, is pretty overrated. I think uh, people look at his strikeout rate and say, this is a guy with a lot of potential, but they ignore the fact that he just can't throw strikes. Yeah, I mean, and we also, I mean, it, there's also the possibility that his strikeout rate is high. Be, I, uh, how do I mean this exactly? Because his, because his walk rate is high? He doesn't spend a lot right. of time in the strike zone, necessarily. Yeah, right, right. I, mean, I think that there's a the reality of the fact that he pitches up in the zone, he's an extreme fly ball guy, so he throws a lot of fastballs up in the zone, 
uh, pitches that are tough to hit, but pitches that are also not called strikes all that often. And so, you know, he's going to get a lot of walks because of where he, his location is. And uh, when hitters decide to swing at it, they're going to swing and miss. And so, you know, it's, it's essentially a trade-off where he's getting strikeouts because of where he pitches, but he's also going to get walks because of where he pitches. And if he decides to throw more strikes, his strikeouts will go down. So it's not that Sanchez can just magically cut his walk rate while also maintaining this really high strikeout rate. The two are tied together. Right, and I mean, if the case, if it's the case that he is working high in the zone frequently, Kaufman's not the worst place for him to end up. Yeah, but it's a lot worse park than parks than AT&T Park. I mean, AT&T Park is better for right-handers than it is for left-handers because of that huge wall in right field. Um, but it's a pretty good pitcher's park for everyone. I mean, I, I think that there's no question leaving the NL West and going to the AL Central, uh, that's going to be a net negative for Jonathan Sanchez. Okay, and there are some concerns generally about. Cabrera's defense, especially in uh, a large center field, do you not have those yeah, same concerns? No, I don't, I don't think Cabrera's a gold glove center fielder. I, I think uh, when I look at Melky Cabrera, I see kind of the classic tweener. He doesn't have the bat for a corner, he doesn't have the glove for a center, so he's the kind of guy who gets labeled as not good enough to start, but I think these guys often get undervalued. I think it was like guys like Randy Wynn, who had this pretty similar skill set, uh, they just kind of fall through the cracks as teams say, you know what, I want my left fielder or my right fielder at 30 home runs, and I want my center fielder to be able to run down absolutely everything, and Cabrera can't do any of those things, so therefore he's not a good piece. But I think that there's value in a guy who can not be a disaster in center field while being a league average hitter, or can be a pretty decent corner outfielder uh, compared to, you know, a Carlos Lee or a you know, uh, Manny Ramirez or some of these big lumbering flutters were out there just for their offense. So I think, you know, Cabrera has more defensive value than the average corner outfielder. He has more offensive value than the average center fielder. It doesn't make him necessarily a great player, but it makes him a pretty decent role player. Uh, what's the deal with Andres Torres now? Well, I think Torres, uh, you know, he didn't have a very good 2011 season by any standard. Uh, his batting average was quite low, and the Giants are still a team that cares about batting average, so I think that this will probably make Torres a part-time player. Um, I, I mean, I think Torres is uh, still going to play some. I don't think that Cabrera makes Torres completely um, – it, it doesn't displace him com- in, in, entirely. But I will say that uh, Cabrera will steal some playing time that might have otherwise gone to Torres in the world that you think that they would have continued to play Andres Torres. But I don't think that that's a world that we really live in. Brian Sabian wasn't going to go into 2011 with Andres Torres as a starting center fielder. Um, and so I think if you look at uh, the reality that Torres was going to be a bench player anyway, Cabrera making him a bench player doesn't really change anything. Cabrera is just the guy they acquired instead of acquiring someone else to do that same thing. Do you think part of the reason that people are low on Melky Cabrera, I mean, besides the fact that he has had some down seasons? Well, here, I'll, I'll submit two possible reasons. Uh, you can add uh, to the list, or you can comment on the list. Uh, one, he's been around for a long time, so it seems like he should be older. He, he made right. over 500 plate appearances at age tw- 21 with the Yankees. Right. Uh, the other thing is, he has a funny body. It's not like you mentioned he's a tweener, but like he doesn't. He's probably more athletic than he looks. All right. Yep. For his sake, I hope he is because he's kind of round. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will agree with both of your points uh, And I think the fact that he came up in New York Probably was working against him as well Because he was a somewhat hyped prospect Who looks like he didn't live up to the hype And so therefore he gets a bust tag Labeled on him Even though he hasn't been that bad of a major league player Throughout his career I mean, He hasn't been amazing But 
it's not like he's been, you know, Delvin Young or something. So, um, you know, I think that you, when you look at his pedigree, the fact that he's been around for a while and hasn't had a breakout year until 2011, um, and the fact that he doesn't look like a very good player, uh, I do think those things are working against him. But if you sit down and actually look at what Melky's produced during his career, you know, from age 21 to 26, he's been a seven-war player. Um, you know, I, I don't think that we can look at this and say, Melky's a totally useless player and you can sign that kind of guy in free agency for the league minimum or the Giants thinking. At the very least, he's a, you know, a quality fourth outfielder who might be an, a league average starter. Right. Now, in terms of what this does for the Royals, this, now I know that you're not particularly high on Sanchez. Still, it gives them, it adds, because their, their offense is basically set. Uh, I mean, Cabrera was going to be their center fielder, so I assume that Lorenzo Cain or I don't know if they still have Mitch Meyer around will take over. I mean, <laughs> this is to open up space for Lorenzo Cain, basically? Most likely, yeah. Okay. And then, or I guess Will Meyer, could Will Myers play center field in a pinch? Um, probably not next year. I mean, you could maybe say Will, Will Myers could be a, an option down the line, but I don't think Will Myers is uh, going to be major league ready in 2012. Is he athletic enough for center from what you've heard? He's a pretty good athlete. Uh, he, you know, he was a catcher in high school, so he's not necessarily like Peter Burgess or Mike Trout or something, but he's a pretty good athlete. He runs okay. I think he does profile better in a corner, um, but I don't know that he would be a disaster in center field early in his career if they were forced to put him there. Right, okay. So so that's about it, and, and Kane is the most the most likely replacement. Um, yeah. But they have a great young core offensively. Um, they basically have, I mean, you have Frank Hoare and Wright, um, and he's he's still deceptively young, but then you have um, a lot of young players, cost control players uh, around the rest of the diamond. Um, so really, the focus. It, it, I mean, I will submit that I think that they have a chance to compete for the AL Central this year if they can have some sort of starting pitching presence, because they have. And so this now adds Jonathan Sanchez to Felipe Paulino, who who pitched decently for for the Royals. And then maybe Luke Hochaver, who I don't really remember how well he pitched. How well did Luke Hochaver pitch? Hochaver was uh, essentially average. He was actually really good in the second half of the season. His velocity took a bump up, and uh, I think his last seven or eight starts, he posted like fifth in like the low threes. He was really good down the stretch, and so uh, I would say that Hochaver, to me, is probably the the most interesting of the three. Uh, I like Paulino, um, but I think he's more of a uh, a guy who's always going to struggle with left-handers out, but uh, O'Shaver pitched well, and Sanchez does give them, you know, some upside potentially if you uh, think that he can figure out how to cut his walk rate and stay healthy. Um, it does improve the rotation, but I will say that going from Melky Square to Lorenzo Cain is probably a downgrade. So I'm not sure this actually makes them better. Uh, I think it might rearrange some assets and move things around a little bit, but I, I'm not 100% sure that this trade actually improved their team or their chances next season. Okay. All right. Do you do you have anything more to say about this? Um, you don't have to. I mean, I could talk. I, I could talk about you know marginal role players getting traded all day, but I think at the end of the day, you know, the Giants had excess pitching and needed an outfielder, and the Royals had what they perceived to be excess outfielding and needed pitching, so they traded one team traded an historical underachiever coming off a good season for another guy who was a historical underachiever coming off a bad season. Uh, I think you can make arguments for this trade one way or another. I'm not saying this is a home run for the Giants, but I do think that the uh, the reaction that I've seen that the Giants got fleeced in this deal is a little bit perplexing to me. Okay. Um, well, there you go. That's uh, that's Dave Cameron's word on the matter. Uh, I guess uh, uh, the other sort of most noteworthy thing that's occurring, um, 
in the baseball world uh, comes out of New York. I think uh, Joel Sherman of the Daily News or Newsday or whatever paper, Post maybe, uh, announced that he had heard from a Mets official that David Wright was available. I don't know if this is uh, shocking because the Mets are probably rebuilding, um, especially if they don't sign Jose Reyes. So maybe it's not that crazy that a team would would at least listen to offers on a star player, um, especially one who hasn't been particularly excellent to the last three years. I mean, decent, but not what we thought he was going to be. Um, is this news very surprising? Um, well, so there's conflicting reports. I mean, I think, you know, we've had some reports say that the Mets are not going to trade him, and we've had some that say they are. To me, I, I understand the sentiment for listening to offers on a guy like Wright if you're going to be a rebuilder, but I do think that Wright's specific contract makes it not wise to trade him this winter. So essentially the Mets have him under contract for the next two years at about $15 million per season. If they trade him, he has the right to void uh, the 2013 part and become a free agent after the end of the year. So any team acquiring David Wright probably has to look at it and say, we're getting one year of team control. Or if the Mets hold on to him and trade him next winter, they could again then trade him with one year of team control. So the Mets could essentially trade him or keep him, uh, get whatever value they believe would have, you know, Wright would have in attracting free agents or uh, helping them maintain some level of credibility with Reyes gone, and then trade him away next winter where another team would get one year of Wright before he became a free agent, versus if they trade him now, then the other team is going to get that exact same thing. So they're essentially giving up a year of team control with David Wright for probably not that much more trade value. I think you deal him if you think that he's terrible and he's going to get worse and his value might go down over the next year. But if you're just thinking, well, I need to trade him because I'm rebuilding, then you might as well just wait until next winter because you're going to be in the same position in terms of what you're trading away. Right. Or, I mean, there's always the possibility that he could have a good season. Right. I think, you know, David Wright has enough talent to perhaps reestablish some trade value to where I just don't necessarily see from the Mets' perspective the necessity of trying to deal with now. So is it more just a big deal because he is a marquee player and New York is a large market? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think there's probably going to be speculation about, you know, whatever the Mets are going to do because of, you know, Sandy Alderson taking over and kind of trying to put the organization in a new direction. Um, and, you know, with any New York team, there's always going to be a need for coverage of uh, things. And, you know, the idea of trading David Wright is at least interesting enough to talk about. I just think that the specifics of his contract make it not a great idea unless the Mets can convince him to not exercise his opt-out based on wherever they trade him. Mm-hmm. Uh, third thing, uh, Michael Kadire has been linked uh, to the Phillies, who appear to be determined to sign him, um, says the internet. Yep. Kadire is 33, uh, probably not improving, and would enter into, I guess he would, I don't know, he'd play some first base or corner outfield, but the team has John Mabry, who played well in 2011, and also has Dominic Brown, who as recently as like two weeks ago, Phillies GM Ruben Amaro stated that he wanted to get 500 to 600 plate appearances at AAA uh, right. for a player who was offensively superior, at least to Raul Banez last year, he, you know, in a short stint. Is it... I will submit that it's ridiculous that they want Dom Brown in the minor leagues more, but... Maybe you don't think that. Uh, so I won't necessarily disagree that, that Dominic Brown could probably handle the role of regular player in the major leagues the next year. But I guess I don't look at it and say the Phillies are choosing between having Dominic Brown or Michael Kinnear. 
they're choosing between having them both or only having one of the two. So if they sign Michael Kadire, he can play corner outfield, he can play third base, he can play first base. They clearly need a first baseman until Ryan Howard returns. Even if you think that Mayberry uh, deserves a, a larger playing a chunk of the playing time, uh, I don't think you want him to be your everyday first baseman for the first couple months in a season where you're trying to contend. So Kadire could fill in at first base until Ryan Howard returns. He could fill in at third base where Placido Polanco has a long history of injury problems. Uh, and he could fill in in the outfield where, you know, Dominic Brown is still significantly unproven. Uh, and, you know, while a nice talent, uh, I don't know that a contending team should want to go in and just say, Dominic Brown's our guy, and if he flops, then we're going to have to go pay the price to acquire someone else with the trading deadline. So I think Kadire gives you flexibility and potential um, play appearances at all three positions of needs on the Phillies. And for me, this actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's getting a little bit older but the Phillies roster is getting a little bit older, and so I don't know that they should look at long-term concerns and say, what's Michael Kedire going to be in three years? Because the Phillies are going to probably be pretty terrible in three years. And what are they going to sign? What will they sign so for? Uh, my guess is he's going to get like 324 or something. I don't think Kedire is going to get a huge deal. He's not a superstar. I think people uh, see Kedire for what he is. He's a uh, useful role player who can play a bunch of positions and not all that well. Um, apparently a high-character guy. I know the Twins like him as a person. Um He's not going to be a break-the-bank guy. I mean, they're not going to have to spend 12 or $13 million a year to sign Michael Kadire. And uh, realistically, with the Phillies' payroll and what they've already sunk into their, their team in the next few years, they should be looking to maximize wins while Chase Utley's still a good player, while Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels are still in their primes. Um, and so if, you know, if the cost is $8 million a year for the next couple of years to you know, give them some versatility and give them flexibility at positions they have question marks, I think it's actually a pretty good idea. Were you, were you surprised by how little uh, Jim Tomey got? Um, uh, I mean, in a, in a sense, I think uh, you could argue that maybe Tomey could have gotten a little bit more in the market, but it was clear last year when he was going to trade it, get traded from Minnesota that he only wanted to go to a couple spots, and Philadelphia was a prime destination and one of his preferred options. So, you know, if he left $750,000 on the table in order to play in Philadelphia versus some other city that he might not like that much, at age 42... I don't think it's that surprising that a guy would trade money for happiness. Um, and, you know, I, I guess you can question what the market value is for a part-time DH anyway. I mean, you know, like, uh, Tomey is essentially going to be a pinch hitter in the National League. Um, I don't know that he's worth that much more than $1.5 million to a National League team. Could an American League team have given him a slightly larger role? Maybe. But, but uh, if he likes being in Philadelphia and he really likes cheesesteaks, then uh, I can understand how that would appeal to him. He looks like he might enjoy cheesesteaks. He does look like a guy who would enjoy a good uh, meat sandwich. <laughs> um, all right, hey, Cameron, uh, what do you what do you think about this the new format of, of the podcast? Uh, I think it's good. You, you don't I, have to like it. I'm just, well, I'm just a little concerned that the shorter time period doesn't let me insult you as often. Do you have anything along those lines? Uh, you know, I, I went in anticipating that this wouldn't be that long, and so I didn't come up with my standard array of uh, stooly put-downs, yeah. so I'll probably have to wait for next week to really bust. Oh, yeah. Uh, you cut out a little bit there, but that's not a big deal. Hey, here's a question, uh, and we'll end the podcast after this. Uh, you might have noticed that I created, when I gave you times for, for, for recording this, there was a window from about uh, 3 p.m. Eastern to like 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, yeah. th that's because I have to go. My well, I have to go because my wife called and made an appointment for me to get a flu shot. Oh, that was nice of her. Well, is that a thing that is actually going to help me? I'm just doing it because she told me to. 
Well, so I will say that a flu shot will let you hang out with me because uh, given that I have a depressed immune system, I basically am not allowed to hang out with people who don't have flu shots. So if you ever want to come to North Carolina and have dinner with me, uh, having a flu shot is mandatory. So this enables you to come be social with me, which might improve the quality of your life. Yeah, but listen to this. I'm exposed to basically no people during the course of the day, except for my wife, who already got a flu shot. So what are my chances of, of catching a flu virus? Um, maybe not that good, but perhaps she's trying to encourage you that your current life situation is not optimal and you should occasionally consider leaving the house. Mm. I'll think about that. Uh, while yeah. I'm thinking about that, I'll be editing this pod, which is ending this moment. But thanks, Dave Cameron, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Joining us, joining me, really, and the, and the listenership, uh, the bespectacled <laughs> listenership. Uh, yeah, that's Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli. And this is Ben Fangraphs Audio.